welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women working in sports. I'm Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard, the host. Each week, I interview a different woman making her mark on the sports world. Today, I'm pleased to have Terry Jackson, the Director of Operations for the Women's National Basketball Players Association, the Players Union for the WNBA. Terry has been with the WNBPA for just over a year now, and prior to that, she was with the NCAA for several years, serving as their Director of Law, Policy, and Governance, and prior to that, um, working on infractions in the NCAA. So I'm really excited because we just met a few months ago, and already uh, I feel like we are becoming fast friends, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been fun. Um, so welcome on, Terry. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And I, I do feel that, that same connection in such a short period of time. It's, it's been fun. We, um, so for people listening, we met at Sports Lawyers Association Conference or annual meeting, I guess they call it, this past May. And Terry was on a panel about gender issues in sport. And it was a great panel. Um, and I basically stalked her afterwards in order to chat with her. <laughs> um, and, um, and it was a really great panel to be on, even if it didn't have anything directly affecting my job. I thought it was important and had a lot. It could have gone on for hours, I feel like. I, I thought so, too. And, and thank you for saying that. I didn't feel like it was stalking at all. I, I thought the time spent with you and, and other folks afterwards was just a great way to wait great way to connect with people and just further your circle so it meant a lot to me oh good well let's start with the question that i tend to be asking a lot of people um which is how did you fall in love with sports <laughs> um you know i think when i think of that question there's probably three distinct kinds of memories that that come to mind and the first one is um you know the beauty of a podcast is you you only have my voice and you can't see me and I'm I'm kind of on the tallish side <laughs> <laughs> you are <laughs> um, so you know somewhere between 5'10 and 5'11 um and and growing up I was always that girl I was always on the tallish side and I recognized pretty quickly that um, that I could run as fast or faster than most of the girls and some of the boys, and I could climb pretty quickly. And I, there were just certain things that I could do. And mm-hmm. um, and whereas there were times when I thought my height would would hold me back from things. Um, there were times in which it was absolutely an advantage. And so I got to explore um, all the opportunities um, that, that, you know, that I was able to kind of take advantage of and, and, and sport was going to be one of them. And, and so there was that. So I have in my head, um, as you asked me, how did I fall in love in sports? I have in my head times when I would race boys Mm-hmm. Um, in the morning before school started, if we if we got there, you know, with enough time, and um, and oftentimes I would win, and and I was just driven to win. So I think there is there is that piece of it. I also have great memories of um, watching football on Sunday with my dad, um, who's since passed away, but um, I I'd, I'd watch 
the Eagles with great fascination because there was this really tallish guy on, on an Eagles team by the name of Harold Carmichael. And I just thought it was so neat that he bore um, my, my family name, my maiden name is Carmichael. And he, and he wore his name on, uh, he wore our name on his back. And I just thought that that was so cool. And, and then the third thing is my, my godmother um, gifted a tennis racket to me at the age of nine. And um, so I took all of this height and I was a tennis player through high school um, and loved it and wasn't, I didn't think great enough to play as a student athlete when, when I was in college, but, um, but continued to play recreationally. And, and um, so I think those were all the entrees into, into sport and into what it did for people generally, and then what it did for girls. It was such a confidence builder for me on the playgrounds. And, and then, you know, as I picked up that racket and, and got stronger and a little bit better, and um, it, it, it continued to be that for me. I, I wish I had played basketball at times, but <laughs> um, considering where I am now and where my family is, um, but, but I, um, I'm just, it just feels like such a blessing to have been exposed and to have been encouraged and, um, and, and all those different kinds of avenues. So I, I think that's where it started somewhere between seven and nine, um, and has just lasted till now. Was your, um, your dad and your family really supportive of you playing sports? Absolutely. My mother would play, um, tennis with me. My mother loved the sport. Um, she and her sisters just love the sport. And so she would play tennis with me. In fact, we would, um, we would take lessons together. I'm a, I'm a Jersey girl born and raised. And we would take lessons down at Rutgers university where she went to school. And it was so funny because before we'd get out of the car, she'd say, okay, remember, I'm not your mom. Call me Eva. She, she wanted us, she wanted to pass <laughs> us off as sisters on the court for lessons. So she says, remember, just say Eva, don't call me mom. Every single time was as we parked and, and we were about to get out of the car. So it was, it, it, it lasted until, you know, one week I remember hitting the ball really hard and she wasn't paying attention and, and she was about to get struck. I thought with the ball and I screamed, mom, watch out. And she turned around and I can't tell you how upset she was with me. <laughs> I mean, everybody stopped playing across the courts and said, mom. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah. Um, but, um, but yes, yeah, so, you know, my parents sent me to tennis camp, um, for years and, you know, that's, that's a little pricey. I was going to camp up in uh, Massachusetts. I was going to camp down in, in North Carolina. It was camp uh, named after Welby Van Horn. He's an old tennis pro, um, older man at the time, but he loved the game and he loved young people. And it was just an honor to be in his camp. And the fact that my parents would would make those resources available to me and and make it happen meant meant a great deal. Um, so yes, very supportive. That's great. And our conversation comes at an interesting time because we just hit the forty fifth anniversary of Title Nine, which 
you know, based on your background, my background, you know, clearly had a huge impact on us as we were growing up and determining what we wanted to do with our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, when I think of Title IX, it also kind of takes me back to to when I was in high school. So in addition to playing tennis, I, full disclosure, I was a cheerleader also. And um, and and I remember um, compete. We, we would compete at a very high level, our cheerleading squad. So we weren't just cheering for um, girls and boys basketball games and, and the football games. We were also competing ourselves. And we would walk into these competitions and we would be battling high schools that had, you know, significant support um, for their cheerleading squads. In fact, we, we remember two of our rivals, big rivals in football and basketball, they brought their football uh, team out and their boys basketball team out. And they were in their letterman's jacket and they just filled the stands and it was such an incredible presence. And we had our parents, which is fine, but you know, it, it, it just didn't compare. And I remember that next week we, I, I walked into, to, to the high school, I walked into the principal's office and I said, how come we don't get support like that? And he said, well, you're not a sport. And wow. it crushed me. And I said, we compete at such a high level. We give, you know, to, to all of the other sports, we consider ourselves a sport. I mean, we, we were, flipping and doing all the, you know, gymnastics and all of that. I understood what he was saying, but it was, it was, it was a turning point for me. Cause I said, you know what, if we can't get that same level of respect and recognition, because being a sport would have meant additional resources, a trainer, coach, and, and all of that. If we can't get that, then we won't be there for the next big, big match or big, big competition. And there was a basketball game that came up and we dressed for the game, except we put on our jeans and not our skirts. And we sat in the stands and the principal came over and he said to me, what are you doing? Cause I was a captain. So what are you doing? And I said, until we get the recognition and support, we're, we'll show up this way, but we won't be, we won't take the floor. And we, we boycotted that game. And the next game, our parents were a little nervous about it all. Um, but we were able to have a conversation with the principal about what next year would look like and what support would look like for our team. We still weren't, we still weren't fully considered a sport, but I think we made an impact. Um, so that's kind of my, my title nine story, putting a stake in the ground, but um, you're right. This is such an interesting time, right? I look at the the membership that I serve um, for the, the women's national basketball players association and and these are these are women in which Title IX is their norm, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's an expectation. They understand the importance of celebrating it, recognizing it, understanding that there are opportunities that flow. But I don't know how fully they understand because this is their norm. This is their expectation. What do you mean? You know, you this this is you know a kind of a privilege or an opportunity that was born out of law. This is what they expect to do. They expect to take the court or take the field. And, um, and I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it that, that that is their expectation because you can, you can build from that. You know, there's, there's a great place of strength um, to, to build from for them. I love that your advocacy started at such a young age. 
um, I think it it shows kind of where your path is going to lead. Probably does. Probably does. <laughs> I don't. I don't often think of that story, um, but when I do, I I, I do just kind of smile. And um, I haven't seen that principal in a long time. I should probably look him up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think. I think though he would be very proud wherever he is. I think he'd be very proud of the impact that moment had for, for all of us um, and where it's led me. That's great. Um, You know, speaking of your current position with the WNBPA, when you started uh, last May, you were pretty much thrown right into the fire um, because your women decided and, you know, in a, a really um, cohesive way that they wanted to talk um, and, and make public their feelings um, related to some of the uh, racial tensions and, um, you know, policing and the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. Right. Uh, so, you know, you told this great story during the panel and, you know, would love for you to tell it again and, um, you know, how you see this um, moving forward with your women and the, the, the social advocacy, you know, social issues advocacy that they want to do. Right. Well, um, you're right. I, I started in this position. It, it was last May and the season had already begun. So I, I think about that time as hitting the ground rolling because with the season having already started, it's, you know, they're already out the gates and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like there's so much running and catching up that I need to do and yet support them and, and do the work and do the job all at the same time. So there was that. Um, and along with, you know, just being in a new position, being back on the East Coast. So there is all of that that traditionally comes with with starting a new job. But then there was the part about it. You know, we were we were heading into um, a a pretty political political season and and a really what I call a hot summer in America. And and sometimes when you refer to when you refer to America that way and, and, and there's there's usually some tension or there's some charged time, some charged incident incidents. And, and there was, you know, the, the police violence that, that, that took the lives of Philando um, Castile and, and, and Alton Sterling. And then, then the violence that turned on the police themselves down in Dallas. And there were some very, very strong feelings um, that I didn't recognize were coming together um, so quickly across the membership. Um, they, they are, you know, like all of us, I mean, we, we are watching the news, we are keyed into the internet or to, you know, whatever our, our, our news providers are going to be. And so they were impacted the way so many of us were impacted and, they are a small community of 12 players on 12 teams. So that's 140 some players. Um, and they're talking to each other and they're sharing experiences and they're sharing sadness and they're 
um, looking at how this is impacting families and impacting communities and those um, who are African-American, those who have um, police officers. I mean, all of this was being pulled together by them to have a good discussion about what to do and and how this needed to stop, how this was too, how this was just hurting all of us. And, um, and you have some membership who have, um, uh, law enforcement in their families as well. Right. So it was kind of both sides of the discussion. Right. And I, and I think that's what made it so interesting. So in their, in their, um, chat discussions, in their, in our phone conversations, when we could pull, you know, the player representatives and the executive committee members online to have the conversations, everybody was very open and honest with where they were coming from. They were coming from a place of hurt and yet they were bringing, you know, all of the family experience and family background and, and, and just all of that. Um, and so that's what was so interesting because there are black, white, brown players, they're players who are from America, players who are, are international players. They're from all over the world, you know, other countries in, in besides America. Um, as we talked about folks with, you know, people who've served in the military or served in law enforcement in their families. And so everybody's coming to this with different experiences, but also being able to galvanize around the hurt and around the senselessness of, of these tragedies for everyone involved. And so it was incredible that, in in my opinion, that they could do that in such a way that was respectful, in such a way that was open and honest and and come not to just consensus, you know, that they were unanimous, you know, in their resolve to demonstrate their support for um, the Black Lives Matter movement or the families of of police officers, of fallen officers, like I said, the Dallas Five, um, they were able to do that in a way in which I thought the country should have been privy or, you know, you know, I almost wish they could have been privy to some of the conversations that these players were having um, because they were able to find that theme and, and able to stand united, um, you know, and break, you, we saw some of the pictures out of their locker rooms or, um, on the court with them with locked arms. And, and that's just where they were. They were all in all of them, all of it's, them. And it was just such a beautiful Testament. And I, and honestly, I think unprecedented. I mean, have we ever, we've seen individual um, athletes, right? Major popular athletes come out and take stands. We've seen that that's nothing new, but for an entire league, of players, I'm not certain that we've seen that before. Um, no, certainly not. I mean, right. it was un- it was unbelievable, and in the best way. Um, you know, you think of the, you know, where we are in America right now, and the inability for us to have civil conversation and right. discourse um, without things, you know, devolving into violence or, um, you know hateful rhetoric and to think about an entire sports league um, coming to such a unanimous and strong 
position on really, really hard issues was one of the most amazing things to see, I think. I agree. I agree. They, um, I, I will tell you, they took my breath away. It, it, and, and I, and I mean that honestly to have, first of all, been invited into those conversations, um, and then to have them turn to me and, and look to me for that lead serve support that I could give them as staff. That's tremendous. I mean, that, that shows a level of trust. Um, and, and again, it was so quick. I mean, I'm, I'm, it, it's, we're probably talking June, July now, and I've just started this job, you know, seven, eight, nine weeks into, you know, into this. Um, so for them to have, for, for me to have arrived at a level of trust with them and to be able to provide some guidance and support, um, and, and to them as, as the leadership in, in all of this, it was just amazing. And, um, like I said, it's it's just, it's probably, we've probably have never seen this before. I don't know if we'll ever see this again. I do think that um, as a country, we miss the opportunity to truly um, take in what they had done and, and use that as a model. I call them the new leaders in social advocacy um, because of, of how they were able to grapple with the issues um, and, and just get it and just get there. What, um, what was the reaction like? I know that, you know, in the league that I work in, there, there was some very strong negative, um, reaction to players who, um, decided to protest in the manner in which they decided to protest, um, or to take uh, a knee. And so I'm wondering how the reaction was for, you know, for the women in your league um, and towards the teams themselves and so forth. Right. Um, as you can ma- imagine, it was mixed. Um, as you can imagine, there, there are teams that, um, and I, I won't necessarily name the teams, name the markets, but there, there are, there's some teams in which um, perhaps I would characterize them or describe them as more progressive and more supportive and more understanding of what was happening and, and how it was happening. Um, there were other teams that took a, a, a different position. And, and then, of course, the league took a very, very mm. different position. Um, you know, I, so, so you, you talked about my background coming from the NCAA, and there was an opportunity for me to, to draw on that in this moment, believe it or not, because the league started pushing back a little bit. I mean, Minnesota had demonstrated um, their support and the way that, that it had done. And then Dallas um, around the incidents there had demonstrated the Dallas team had in, had demonstrated its support in the way that it had done. And the other teams were saying, we want to do this. Also, we, we want to show the world how unified we are. And they also wanted that opportunity. So going into the Olympic break, we, we kind of talked about how that could happen and, and what that, what that opportunity would be. Each team had, you know, another game or two 
before the Olympic break in which, you know, the, the players would go off and play Team USA and in, in, in the Olympic Games last year were in, in Brazil. But so they, they would have that one last opportunity to demonstrate to the world. It's all 12 of us. It's not just Minnesota and it's not just Dallas or it's not just New York. It is it is the rest of us also. And the league um, understood that 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 momentum was happening. And they reached out to me and, and perhaps to some of the, the player leadership and said, if there's any demonstration by way of any more T-shirts um, showing support for these families, um, there will be a fine because those T-shirts will be in violation of the uniform policy. And while technically that was true, um, there was everybody, everybody believed um, that that this was an opportunity to have an exception um, to that to that policy, and um, and really hoped that the league would get there, which is understand that you know this is where we are. Let us do this. Let us support us in this, and let us show the world. And the league did not. They kept saying there will be a fine. There will be a fine if, and that's a monetary penalty, of course, if if there's um, a violation of the uniform policy. And when I said I was drawing on my NCAA background, I thought the NCAA with divisions one, two, and three, 1,100, 1,300 institutions are part of this organization. I thought to myself, there's not one institution that would penalize, seek to penalize student athletes who are demonstrating this kind of support, this kind of peaceful, civil, you know, protest or demonstration of, of support. There's not one who would do that. There's not one institution in that huge membership in the NCAA that would do that. Um, aside from all the, the PR, the negative PR fallout, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about coming from a place in higher education and understanding the need to, you know, show some support, give some space, give some latitude for something that was that authentic. And I shared that with the league and I said, please don't do this. And it didn't matter. The fine memos came out. And just so that everybody understands when, when a player um, violates the uniform policy or a policy of the league, but we'll take the uniform policy for right now. There's a memo that goes out. There's a communication that goes out and I get copied on that. So imagine how many emails <laughs> I was receiving, sure. you know, at one time because the players did go forth to demonstrate their support. We, we know that. And, um, and the, the league made true on on what it said it was going to do, and that was to find the players. I, what was upsetting, of course, was that that happened. Um, but was uh, what was also upsetting was that the fines were five hundred dollars each, and um, which if, to put into perspective, right? The as of right now, the average salary for a WNBA player is around $77,000. Let's, let's take 70 somewhere around there. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, is, is, so that's a significant amount of money. That is a significant amount of money. And it, it's particularly significant amount of money. 
because had they worn a headband or tights or wristband that would have violated the uniform policy, what I had been seeing were fine memos that were $200 for those incidents, uh, for those infractions of the uniform policy. And so for this to now have been a $500 fine seemed um, quite high. I'll just say it that way, quite high. And that was, that was quite a fine. That was quite a message that I thought was, was being sent. And um, I was, I was disappointed, but I was, I was disappointed in, in, in the fines themselves, but I was proud that this player membership had understanding that there was the possibility of, of the fine went forward. Um, stayed authentic to who they were and to the conversations that they were having and to the stand that they wanted to make. And they, again, they just wanted to do this and show the world before going into those world games, before going into the Olympic games. And, and then that would be it. Now I I had also hoped that we, perhaps we could find this t-shirt that would say, I'm a socially engaged, socially, you know, um, um, responsible um, athlete. I, I was hoping we could find that t-shirt, you know, cause we can't have a t-shirt for every cause, but that, right. that one t-shirt to really demonstrate who they are in this, in this new world order of, of social advocacy, particularly with, with athletes using their platforms in this way. Um, but that, though, that kind of conversation really never came to pass because we were looking at $500 fines for so many, for so many players. Um, now we do know that the good news to this, right? I mean, the good news to this was that a week or so later, and forgive me with the timeline, um, the league rescinded the fines. There was quite a bit of 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 ground of, of public pressure, I think, building um, in support of the players, um, and and you know, kind of questioning um, the the league and 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 its desire to maintain the strict interpretation of its uniform policy, um, the momentum was growing for the players and, and, and kind of against the league in that respect. And um, I'm happy to see that there were conversations that were happening at the league that, that could get them to that point. And, um, and I remember the day very clearly when the fines, when it, it was announced that the, when the league announced that they would rescind the, the fines, I, because I, I I was in California, had been traveling all day. And at the end of the evening, I just looked at my calendar and I said, this is my 90th day on the job. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you, know, you, yeah. you start a new job thinking, you know, what's your 90 day plan? You know, what's your 100 day <laughs> plan? This was not it. Trust me. <laughs> but um, it was again, it was just a very, very proud moment. But I. I knew then that whatever I thought this job was going to be, it was going to be that and so much more. And so I, I thought to myself, hang on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this is going to be awesome. We, um, we saw one other uh, thing happen in response to the fine memos. And, you know, I don't want to call it a trend necessarily, but it did, it did seem to, to, start something interesting, uh, an interesting dynamic. And um, one thing that we saw when the WNBA and yeah, WNBA players were fined 
were that some of the NBA players decided to step in and either offer to pay the fines or started advocating um, for the women players. Yes. Um, you know, that's, um, there, there was definitely support um, that my, my player membership felt um, from, from NBA players and, and really from, from NFL players. I mean, it, it, it this was, I think, there was a, a building of solidarity, if you will, uh, across across players, and um, because of the social platforms and and the way they connect and communicate anyway, um, there were opportunities for them to to um, connect with players from from lots of other sports and, and different leagues and. And yes, there was a great demonstration of support. And, and I think that's only the beginning. I think that will continue. Um, I'm very hopeful of that. And, and I've begun to reach out to other players associations um, because, because they are tremendous resources to me. Um, and, and I think it's a tremendous show of, of strength and show of support to, to do that and to keep those alliances going. Sure. I mean, and, you know, we've seen it in the past, I don't know, six to eight months with the um, Women's National Hockey League uh, team with, uh, you know, soccer. And it's been really, it's been great to see that um, unification almost and recognition that, you know, the women in those instances, um, you know, deserve to be you know, uh, at the same level that the guys are at when it comes to pay and, and certain things. So, um, you know, the one thing that I would uh, like to see more, and I think you and I have talked about this before, is, um, you know, there's that support, that social media support, that um, general, you know, media commentary support. I I would love to see it more visually. So when the few NBA players, I think at the ESPYs, was it right. last year, um, took the stage and had, I would have loved to see some of the women up there too. You know, I, I, um, I don't know if we talked about that, Bobby Sue, but, but I, I, we, I, I had that same impression. I was so proud in the moment, right. Of yeah. Carmelo mm-hmm. and Chris and, um, Dwayne and LeBron in that moment. It was, it's a, it was a beautiful statement. It really was. Um, and, it, and, and I think I thought to myself, well, it's probably because of the job that I have. And it's probably because I'm so close to the issues that I'm feeling this way. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you had the same kind of thought. But I, I did think boy, that that image, that visual would have been something very different, um, mm-hmm. perhaps heightened had there been um, the presence of, of women um, who also happen to be athletes on that stage, sharing that moment with them. I mean, because what I thought was so powerful in the moment of my player membership was that it was the diversity that they represented. I mean, if you, mm-hmm. if we could have had that one picture, I sometimes take the pictures of, 
of all of the women in their t-shirts and I, and I line them up because it's, it's beautiful. But if, if we could have had that one picture, what a statement that would have been. And maybe then the world wouldn't have missed the moment. But, but in seeing um, the NBA players um, take the stage and command that moment at the ESPYs, I thought was definitely striking. But I did think had, um, had there been other players um, from, from the WNBA up there with them, from soccer, from hockey, you know, there just, there just could have been an even more impactful statement, but um, it was, we'll we'll, we'll get there, right? Yeah, it was powerful. (laughs) I mean, there's no doubt that it was a powerful moment and that I think a lot of people were deeply moved by it. Um, You know, I think generally whenever I, I'm always just like, well, why isn't there any women doing that too and you know we are getting there i think slowly um i think the next time there is something that needs to be talked about um i i believe um that there will be more inclusion right because i think we're at a point now where it's it's clear that in your league in particular the wnba that you know your players want to um, talk about these issues and be be um, uh, brought into the conversation. Absolutely. So, um, and we've seen we've seen the WNBA NBA players um, take you know some other social issues uh, into the into the spotlight, um, and not just them, but their their teams. Um, you. You have a, a player who is gender nonconforming uh, in your league, and um, and she has um, you know discussed those issues, right? Uh, you're, publicly, you're, right? You're talking about Lasia Clarendon, yeah, and and Lasia Clarendon. Um, I'm so proud of her. There, there's there's so many there's so many things I I could say about Lasia. I am I'm proud that she is part of the executive team, executive committee. So she is she is part of, of player leadership. She's a very strong voice in that. And um I don't she she is very vocal and she is very supportive um of LGBTQ um rights and issues. She's she has taken the time to just really educate and have good, um, engaging conversations um, across the team, uh, across her team, across other teams. She can do it at such a high level and she can do it in a way that um, has people better informed and, and again, better educated and without feeling um, and, and, and feeling respected in, in that engagement and in that conversation, regardless of where they may have been before they started, they, they definitely end, um, and, and at, at a good place. She's, she's amazing in that regard. And, um, and, uh, and I appreciate, and I appreciate what she adds to the conversation because it's, it's, it's quite a bit. And, with respect to there, there's the team in Seattle. There's the the Seattle Storm, right? Who's mm-hmm. recently announced um, 
its support for Planned Parenthood and a desire to have a game just before the All Star the all-star game, which is also going to be held in Seattle, but to hold a game in which the, you know, it's, it's a fundraiser, um, brings attention and awareness to the issues around Planned Parenthood and all that it provides and gives to women's health. And, and at the same time, not just, not just provide the words of support, but provide some financial support too, that I think is, is going to be really, really meaningful. I, I, um, from the business op side, that's been really interesting to see because, um, you know, it's been billed as a, a partnership with Planned Parenthood. And typically partnerships are revenue going into the team or the right to, you know, be called a partner of the team or a sponsor of the team. And, you know, this is such a unique partnership where you know, Planned Parenthood is going to be receiving a lot of those same assets that your typical um, sponsor would get, right? Um, but it's um, more of a, a charitable thing. And it's it comes at a time, obviously, when the healthcare debate is raging and there are continued talks of the funding of Planned Parenthood and what, what Planned Parenthood actually does. It's just, it's such a strong move. Um, that I, I know I told you in a text, I think, or when we were on the phone, how much I absolutely loved it. Right. I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting move and it's, um, it's, I, 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 I won't be surprised if this is, um, you know, not the last time we see a professional team move in this direction, right? Because in, in this case, we're, we're talking about the team, we're talking about the organization having taken the step more so than 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 the players, and so I I think it's um it it makes for a very interesting commentary, interesting case study. What will flow from this? Um, but when you talk about philanthropy, I I can't help but think when I when I talk about um when I talk about the um, the players, I I I talk about them as as leaders and how they're using their platform and. And again, it's not just their voices. So many players lend um, tremendous financial support. Tina Charles, for example, um, with with the um, Hopi's Heart Foundation that she does, that that work that she does. But there's so many other players who lend financial support to their own foundations or or other grassroots initiatives. And and I and I'd like to see, you know, not not everybody does it because they want. Um, they want the recognition. In fact, most some people just just would rather not. But I think um, as part of this new leadership, this new era, this new time, what they bring to the table in that regard is 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 really is is really big. And um, have you, um, you know, when so when one of the the players comes to you saying, you know, I'm really passionate about X Y Z issue. Um, how do I get more involved or, you know, do you have resources that you provide them or um, direction that you kind of give them to do that? Yes. Yes. And, and I'll give you an example. So from last summer, we, we talked about the movement around the Black Lives Matter and, and the Dallas Five and, and all of that and, and what they wanted to do going into the Olympic break. 
that was their opportunity to show their support in that moment. But it didn't end there for them. What they asked me to do, particularly going into the Olympic break, they had all of August off um, or most of August off as time off for those who weren't going to be competing at the Olympic Games. And they asked, can we, can you put together some articles? Can you put together some books, some movies? Um, are there some people that we can talk to? So I was, I was, um, even before I was at the NCAA, I was, I used to teach a class called women in sport. And so I had to put my professor hat back on and in a <laughs> sense, build a syllabus for them, um, of these kinds of resources that they were asking. And we had the opportunity to put together a player only session. We did a webinar and we brought some experts in, um, and to talk with the players about this new terrain, um, and how to navigate it. And, um, and so, yes, there were, there was that kind of, information building and resource sharing that we provided to them at that moment. And even now we do the same thing. Um, we, you know, I'm, I, I have a, a limited number of resources for doing the operations of the business, but this is part of the business. This, this is important to them. So this is one of the initiatives that we have to, to figure out how we can support and um, so we're doing that. We're tying into organizations and we're identifying the opportunities for them to um, lend their voice and lend their time um, and on issues in which they are most passionate. It's incredible to see. And, um, and I'm glad that, you know, the, the players are, are doing that. Um, I always wonder. Uh, know if if players generally have resources available to them so that they know um whether an organization or or you know is a good one to get involved with and and stuff like that so um you're exactly right because you you they can't they can't join everything and then they have to be mindful of those organizations is that organization um truly um what they are about, if I can just right. say it that simply. Um, and so there is, there's a little bit of work that we do um, to, to help them find that right opportunity. And, um, and their representatives are very helpful and engaging in, in that regard too. So it's, it's, it's a true partnership when we're figuring it out um, and, and they're patient and they're mindful of, you know, what this means when they, when they do step out there or when they do lend that support and lend their voice. Um, and you know, I, I thought what they asked for me to build for them, that kind of, that syllabus, that kind of, you know, background course, if you will, I thought now that also, um, would be such a lesson for the rest of the country about, about how to be thoughtful in, in the discourse, right. And how, how to be more informed on, on the issues or as informed as you can be on the issues instead of shooting from the hip, because that's what they didn't want to do. They wanted to come from a place in which, you know, they understood both sides of whatever it is they were walking into. Um, 
they're, they're, they are themselves a great case study in, in this new leadership piece. So, um, have you thought about having, um, the women on the executive team, uh, or committee and, you know, maybe, uh, write an article that, that talks about that, um, and that provides some, um, resources for people to look at and, and include some of that syllabus, you know, whether it be on the, <laughs> on the you know, Players Tribune or, or some, or, you know, WNBPA's website. I mean, I think that's, you know, part of it is sharing the education, right? Right. Um, and, you know, like Laisha's doing, you know, I, and, you know, I, I would love, you know, love to get some of the information that she's, you know, looked at and educated herself and others on, um, because you can't know everything and you need to point it in the right direction sometimes. Right. Right. I, um, I haven't thought about them right, you know, that whether or not there's a player who, who would look to, to write an article, I'm, I'm sure that's going to happen. Um, and, and I think back to, um, the recent title nine, um, celebrations, um, over the past month or, or last month in which, um, there were some things that were written, but media planet, which, um, does a supplement in USA today from time to time had reached out to us and, and asked us, um, the players association, if we would be interested in, in providing a piece. And so we, we did sponsor a piece and it was about their, their new voice, but it, it also was kind of a look back. It was a recognition of the history of the players association. And it was a look back on how the union even started. And the union started from some, from some really true grassroots organizing kind of efforts. And they were able to build on that um, to, I think, where we are today. But, but way back then, there were members like um, Sonia Henning and Cookies Washington, both who were former presidents of the WNBPA. And not many people know this, but they also had law degrees. Um, and so they were part of that initial kind of grassroots organizing effort to get there to even be a union. And so that's what that piece was about. It was, it was kind of a look back on where, um, this players association, how it, how it grew, how it was born and where this new executive committee with NECA Abubake as president Asia Clarendon as first vice president, Monica Wright, secretary treasurer, Cheney Ogumake, and Monique Curry as vice presidents, where they are looking to kind of build it as Union 2.0 or Players Association 2.0, building building on that grassroots initiative. So um, from there, will there be another piece, another opportunity in their voice? I think that's a great idea. I'll, I'll, I'll pass that on to them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think it would be generally great to, to hear from the players about some of these things and to share the resources that they've looked to, to educate themselves. I, I, I am constantly asking people for recommendations for myself, right. So that I can become more informed in these um, different issues. And, um, you know, because that was such a, a model you know, even the discussions that y'all had, I know um, many of them were through a group text on WhatsApp, 
right. um, you know, uh, working um, to maybe even bring parts of those conversations, uh, I think would be great. But we can talk about that another time. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just an idea that just came to me. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a great idea. Thank you for sharing it. And I, I, I do think there's something there. We'll, we'll have to explore it. We'll, we'll have to find that right time and, oh, and sure. explore it. Um, one of the things I've noticed about you, speaking of looking backwards, um, in my research with you, you um, and it, it just comes at an interesting time because I, I just did something similar to this. Um, you wrote a letter to the editor of the Sports Business Journal. Uh, 2005 regarding the most influential women in sports list. It was a list of 20 women and um, you you were not pleased by the lack of dynamic women and women of color in that list. Um, and I recently just emailed someone about uh, another type of column that gets done where it's all white men that they're including and um, how I think there's enough diversity within the people who work in sports that you can make it so it's not all white men. Um, and part of my impetus for starting the podcast was the top 40 under 40 list that had, I think, six women on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, do you, you know, part of my question is, do you see any progress related to these lists? And then I feel like I just answered my question with six women being on top 40. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, um, let me first start off by saying you are the second person in probably a year or two who has, um, researched that and found that come across that. Cause I think it was, it was pre, it was definitely pre Twitter and pre Facebook, time, oh, yeah. you know, um, but the, but, but nothing dies when it's on the internet. And, and quite frankly, I love it. And I stand by what I said then. And, um, do I think there's been much change? Um, I do think there's been change, but I, I think that, uh, unfortunately those who create the lists or those who sometimes are decision makers don't recognize the change and don't look to recognize and highlight and celebrate, um, all the change that's happening. And, and that's a bit disappointing. So, um, I'm thankful for folks like you and for you and, and your podcast and this opportunity to, to have a platform and, and, and to tell the world um, that there are women in sport in the industry at so many different levels in so many different ways on the league side, on the player side and on the corporate side in media. Um, and we, we look, uh, we are, we are so beautifully diverse. It's, it's wonderful. So I, I think, you for the opportunity to uh-huh. do this. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, so I will tell you the other person who, who brought up my, my letter to the editor, uh, was an intern at the NCAA. And it was so funny. She, I had taken her to dinner and we were talking about her next steps and possibilities. And, and she brought it up to me and, and I had, I, to tell you the truth, I had almost forgotten about that. <laughs> um, so I was happy that she reminded me of it and happy that you're reminding me of it now. Um, I, I, I remember when I wrote it, I, I, I remember exactly where I was in my house. We were living in Maryland at the time 
And I remember thinking, do I really want to write this? Do I really want to say this? And I said, yes, I absolutely do. Because if I don't, who will? Um, I don't, I don't know if anybody else is thinking about this or say, of course they were thinking about it, but are they going to say it? Are they going to step out there and say it? And I also remember putting together a list of people who I thought that they should have included. I don't know if I, if I sent that along with that email, but. Um, you did. There were a few, a few that you mentioned. Yeah. It, yeah. Remember. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I remember as I created that list, I'm going to leave out so many people and there is, <laughs> you know, there is the, the problem with me raising it and, and offering up who they should have included because I will fail to mention so many people. Um, and that's what my worry was that I wasn't going to, my list wouldn't be exhaustive or comprehensive enough. Um, you know, we, we understand what we need to do, right? We need to talk, we need to engage with each other. We need to lift each other up. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if, um, um, the former secretary would appreciate me bringing up her, her, her off quoted line. I, I think maybe she, she stepped away from it a little bit, but I, I very much believe that there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Um, and, um, I'm right there with you. And, um, I've, I've written it on my wall in the office and I share it with as many people as I can. Um, there will be progress. It, it may be incremental. It may be, it it may come in leaps and bounds at times, or, you know, it, it may be incremental, but, um, it will be, there's no stopping us. We're, we're here, we're present, we're engaged, we're passionate about the work. And when, with that kind of combination, you just can't be stopped. So there will be a time in which we are taken more seriously. There will be a time when that list is not six, you know, but I mean, yeah, but I, you know, I think, I think we're also at a point where, um, so a couple of things, like I, I'm a, a self-admitted free, like prior mean girl. Um, I don't think I meant to be. I think it, a lot of it had to do with insecurities of my own, but I could tell you that there, there are people out in the world who would probably say at one point or another, when they interacted with me, that that's how I was. And it was when I was younger and I still felt like I was competing against everyone. Right. Right. You, you aren't, um, and I wasn't, uh, self-assured enough to, to realize that there's space for all of us. Um, and, and I still felt like maybe being a, a guy's girl, whatever that is, was, you know, the best way to, to get through. And I think it took until, um, I met some of my mentors, um, after, you know, after law school where I realized that that's not at all the case. Um, uh, and, and how, you know, working together and, um, and sharing our own stories and, uh, you know, being an ear for people who, who need to talk about their own and want advice or what have you. Um, it, it's been really powerful for me in the last 10 years, I think. And in the last couple alone, um, I've just gotten really strong in my feminism and in my belief that 
there needs to be more recognition and uh, highlighting of, of the women doing amazing things like you and the others that I have on this podcast. Well, I, um, I appreciate you and, you know, thank you for being so honest. I think we all have our journeys, right? But sure. we, we do, um, but we get there, you know, we, yeah. we get there. And, and I, and I think the journey is um, so much a part of who we will end up being. Um, so I, you had to have that journey. You had to have that um, so that you could come and speak so honestly and, and come and make this platform an opportunity possible. Think about it. Had yeah. you, had you not had it, we wouldn't have been the fast friends that we've become. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, you know, I think by having something like this, having, um, you know, I think Twitter can be a great tool. I think allowing women to be authentically themselves and not single dimensional, um, you know, really tough people, you know, you can be tough and still, you know, have other parts to your personality, you know, um, and allowing us just to be us, um, you know, we are showing younger women that it's okay for them as well. And to be accepting of ourselves and other people. Right. Agreed. Um, you have an interesting household. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, it's great. I love it. Um, so your husband, um, is a former NBA and CBA player and your son, um, just graduated high school and is committed to Michigan state to play basketball as well. So I'm guessing that having these athletes, uh, in your house, both from a student athlete perspective and then a professional athlete perspective has helped you in your career. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I joke about it from time to time with, uh, with the players because they'll say, you didn't play ball all that height. You know? <laughs> and, and, um, <laughs> and I think I, I think I almost try to use, you know, my, my husband and, and his career, truly a journeyman through, through the NBA, um, highlighted by a, a, a championship with the Spurs back in 1999, which is so cool. Um, I, I think I use him and, and, and my, the, the son that we're raising you, that you mentioned, um, you know, is, is a little bit of street cred in, in, into my, <laughs> into my, my basketball world. Um, I, they, they understand that I come to it, you know, solidly behind the issues and an understanding of the issues, both of them as, as women and them as athletes. Um, but, but having, a husband who played at the level in which they play and, and a son who's navigating the course that, that they have navigated. Um, I think that helps. I, I definitely think that helps. And it, it, you know, it keeps me, it keeps me again, mindful of the player issues. My, my husband was really pretty active um, player rep back in his day um, around the lockout period. He got really involved um, around that 98, 99 lockout that, that the NBA had. Um, and, um, and so it's, it's, it's helpful in that regard to have that player perspective and that understanding, um, somebody who was, was not drafted, worked as hard as he did. You know, there's, there's some, there's some similarities between him and his career and, and how 
he he navigated that with with some similarities with the, the players that I generally serve, and um, and then again with with my son too, with our son, you know, some of the issues that he deals with as as highly recruited student athlete going to play next, you know, some Michigan State, so Big Ten. Um, that's high level basketball and there's some real time issues that go along with that, that um, keep me on my toes, both as a parent um, and as a professional in, in this role. So it's good. It's really good for me. It, um, it, Jaron, uh, your son, Jaron, sorry, they're both named Jaron, uh, Jaron Jr. Uh, am I saying his name right? Absolutely. Okay. Just double check. Um, so he wrote for the Players Tribune about his recruiting experience. And it's it, it was fun to read because I could I could envision you um as the <laughs> former NCAA um uh professional, both on the infraction side and then the general law policy and governance side. Um, you know, going through this with him. And it must have been a little eye-opening for you to to see it in real time how it how it happens i agree it absolutely absolutely and um you know that I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the background on that piece and, and jaron jr we call him jay jr reached out to mm-hmm. the, the players tribune um kind of on his own to say hey you know would you be interested in working with me? I, I have an idea for a story and he had already kind of really fleshed it out. And, and he, we, we encourage writing and journaling in my family. And, um, and so he does a lot of that. And, um, and so the, you know, he put one of the, one of the editors um, in touch with me just to kind of okay it from a parent sense, but <laughs> he, he really wanted to, make this, um, about his recruiting experience, make it also kind of a, a tribute to his dad and, and the role that, that Jaron senior Jaron played in all of this. My husband was very actively involved. And so, um, it was interesting for me to see in my NCAA role, how this was playing out. I mean, I, I read about some bad, some, some, sometimes bad case scenarios with recruiting, um, at least I used to read about that in, in my prior role. And so, um, I was very, very mindful of the rules and, um, I was, I was pretty curious as to how this was going to play out for, for our son, having a mom who's a lawyer who works for the NCAA, a dad who had been a highly recruited student athlete himself and played at the highest level, knowing, um, quite a few people and, and still very much engaged in, in basketball. That's just the way it works. And so I, I was curious as to how this was going to play out for him. And I, I was determined that it was going to be um, a good experience and that he was going to be engaged in it at, at every point. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the way it played out. In fact, I'm sure that's, that's the way it, <laughs> it played out. And, right. and, and the piece that he wrote was really from the heart and was probably some, some journal notes, you know, pulled in there. There were some, some things that I had to remember that he remembered very vividly. And, um, and I, you know, it was very thoughtful what he did and how he did it. And it was awesome that he was able to, to get it done, um, 
in time for Father's Day. It was it was that weekend, I think, that, yeah. that they worked to release it. So he did a good job. It was sweet. Um, where did the journaling and writing um, come from? Like, where where do you draw that from? And how did you integrate it into your family so much? Right. I was I had diaries when I was a little girl. I had diaries upon diaries. I still have those diaries. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I, I did that um, as a very little girl. I did that through high school, excuse me. And I definitely did that in college in terms of parenting. What's interesting was we take a family vacation and um, when we go on vacation, I, confiscate all the electronics. So laptops, phones, iPads, (laughs) iPods, what have you. I put them in the hotel safe. Um, Only I know the code. And then I hand out to everybody, whoever's vacationing with us, um, their present. And, you know, there might be a book and maybe a fun game, but I take the time um, to find a journal and a nice pen that I present to everybody and they get that on day one. And, 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 and now it's come to be, you know, everyone's kind of looking forward to what their journal is going to look like. And um, we didn't vacation this year. We did last year and, and for so many years before that, but that's, that's my tradition. They get that and we journal and there are times when we're just by the pool and we're just writing and writing and writing. And then we'll pick a day during that family vacation in which we can share one of our entries if we want. Um, we don't have to. Um, and it typically now it's gotten to the point where everybody shares and it's a whole lot of fun. It's a whole lot of fun. So um, that's just what we do as a family and what I encourage, um, what I've always encouraged Jay Jr. to do to um, share his feelings and kind of get get some things out, but also to remember when you're an athlete and you are looking to compete and perform on the big stage or, you know, at at these different levels, there there are different phases um, in your growth and development that you can draw on, you can look back on. And um, he will tell you it is helpful for him to remember a tough game or a tough time with a coach or a tough workout or or maybe a, a really good game. And look back at that and say, oh, yeah, I, I had, I'd forgotten that part of it or that piece of it. Or I thought I wasn't ever going to overcome that moment. And look where I am right now. So um, it's huge. It's a big part of, yeah, it's a big part of building re- resilience. And, you know, I think that's why a lot of therapists recommend that you write down things that you're grateful for every day or Absolutely. things that um, you found tough or, you know things like that because you when you can draw upon those experiences you know that's why runners marathon runners keep very detailed logs of their training right right um i think that's wonderful i love your story about vacation yes yes that's so fun it's it's great it it is great to go shopping for the different personalities who will be on the trip um and figure out what their journal what I think their journal (laughs) should look like. Um, But, um, but it's fun. It's fun. And, and it's, and it's meaningful. And um, the editor that, that Jay Jr. was working with said he could tell that the kid was a journaler 
he's he's like I I can just tell just just in his writing style and so I said okay well good <laughs> um that's I mean it's just phenomenal I'm a big uh proponent of all things you know whether it be creative or uh, writing uh that it helps work through issues right absolutely um I want to talk about one thing that the um, that the Players Association is, has started using. Um, it's this really interesting app that you guys created. I'm guessing um, it's the Live Safe app. That's actually a league initiative. Okay. Yeah. So um, Live Safe actually is is a company that's been out there and working in in higher ed, working with some big companies too that have employees all all around the world and in higher education where they have their you know student abroad study programs um so they've been around for a little bit and the league and and I won't step on their toes I'll let them explain it better but the league <laughs> reached out to to live safe um at some point last year um to to uh, identify some tools that would help um better better communicate and better connect up with players when they're overseas. What's interesting is um, I wasn't really sure where the league was going to be on that because once the WNBA season is over, as I understood from the league, you know, they're, that's pretty much it until the next season starts. And so there are players who go overseas or players who stay in the country and, you know, do a variety of things. Well, because I serve the membership really 365 days out of the year. I know no WNBA season from um, an extended season or off season. I know no difference in the time. I just know that I have players um, who need and want and expect support or services um, or want to contribute to, to what we do as, as a union. And so um, when I understood um, how many, it's considerable number, how many, of the players go overseas and they're playing in Russia and China and Turkey and Israel um, in a variety of places. Um, then I, I understood very quickly that we needed to get uh, a way to connect with them. So the WhatsApp chat that we had been using earlier in the season, just to talk and get our arms around some big issues and, and um, talk kind of governance and operations of the union for us was the thing that made so much sense for connecting up with, with the players when they're traveling overseas. And so we started immediately. I don't even think the league had reached out to live safe yet, but we had started a WhatsApp chat, a Turkey chat. Um, we had started a chat for players that were in Russia and, and China, I believe. Um, I have um, a retired player on staff, Jane Appel Marinelli. Um, and, and that really was something that she was able to execute on and, and create these chats very quickly. Cause I said, we need a way to communicate with them. Um, I want to know that they can check in at any time that we can get information to them at any time. And, and, and of course, as you'll remember, my, my concern last year was, was mostly for players traveling in Turkey. There were there were more than a few incidents that that were taking place, um, some bombings um, before they had even left, 
And then while they were gone, there were, there were those kinds of incidents that were taking place. And I needed, um, I needed that WhatsApp chat up very quickly so that we could, again, push information to them and I could say, okay, check in, let me know that you and your, your teammates, if there's another, you know, W player, current or former W player, just let us know. And if we need to reach out to anybody else, we can. So that's, that's part of what we did. And then we also worked with the state department um, and what they do generally for, for the, the population, right. Is when you're traveling abroad, you can register with them and make sure that you get alerts, state department alerts in real time. So we worked on that too, with our um, new director, the, the NBPA, excuse me, uh, new director of communications, Eric Rhodes. So he, he helped us get that in place. Um, and so that was tremendous, but the live safe, that app has been around for a little bit. And, and I think it's just something that the uh, league is looking to um, introduce and, and keep going with the players. I think that's smart. I mean, with everything that's going on in really any country at this point, um, it's, you know, a, it's a note for all of us just in our general lives to, to remember to check in with people. Um, when there's something going on. So it's great that you're looking out for the safety um, of your players, of course. Yep. Um, you are going to be going into CBA conversations soon, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. So the interesting thing about um, next year is um, 2018 is, is the year in which the union gets to celebrate its 20th anniversary the league celebrated that last year and and i think it's tremendous it's a tremendous statement to know that the union formed pretty quickly thereafter and so their 20th anniversary will be in 2018 and and when i go around to team meetings i'm reminding them of that and you know that that um i think that's a proud moment for them to remember and understand but but at the same time i say i want you to be mindful that the, you know, our current collective bargaining agreement, the 2014 agreement would expire in, in 2021. And if there is any possibility or thought that we would be opting out of that agreement, we'd have to do that and make that decision by, by November of 2018. So around the same time we were celebrating the 20th right. anniversary, we're making pretty, pretty big decisions with regard to, with regard to the current CBA. Um, are you able to discuss what some of the issues might be that the players are focused on? I'm sure salary is going to be one of them. Um, I'm not, but I'll say it this way. Yeah. Um, I, I've been very, pretty mindful of, of what our role in this whole enterprise is. You know, though I represent the union, I understand that I've, I kind of have a two pronged responsibility. One is to raise the visibility of the game. and that's the game that girls and women play generally, not just at the professional level. Um, so it's, you know, the college games, some grassroots initiatives, there's that piece. But the other thing that I'm responsible for is um, maximizing the player experience. And so th those are things when I, when I talk to the membership about it, I said, that's, those are all things CBA. And, and that's why, 
they need to be up to speed, up to date on, on the CBA and understand those provisions and understand the issues that flow from them, that in addition to salary, you know, it's about housing, it's about lodging, it's about, you know, um, medical benefits and locker, you know, it's all of that. Absolutely. It's all of that. And um, I think there are ways um, through our CBA to do just that, to maximize the player experience. They are playing at the professional level. And I'm not talking about players who are coming from, you know, these top uh, division one powerhouse programs where there's an expectation of X and Y and Z at the professional level. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about um, generally, you know, how um, a professional athlete um, should experience the game and, and how she should be treated and what her expectations are. I think there's a baseline there. And I think there's an opportunity to address that baseline, um, maximize that baseline through the, through the CBA. And, and that's what I'll be looking that that's those are some of the conversations that we will we will have. Um, I, I think there's some good thought starters that come out of out of the CBA, and 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 we'll spend. We've actually started right, but we'll spend this time through the end of next season making sure everybody's informed. Because well, it's I not it's not my decision. Right. It's not right. my decision. Right. It's it's theirs. And so they I want them to come from an informed place and and they want to be, they want to come from that place, too. So. Right. Um, well, I think they're lucky to have you um, on their side and and advocating for them and, um, you know, not just advocating for them, but also connecting them with prior presidents when they can't visit the White House <laughs> after winning championships. Can, we just talk about this baller thing you did um, for the Sparks and how you made personal phone calls um, to President Obama. Well, um, <laughs> I am um, OK. I, I didn't call the president. And, and so let's let me make that abundantly clear. But um, <laughs> I, I am I am going to be pretty proud of of my alma mater and, and the folks that I was able to, to get to know and make connections with when I was at Georgetown, both underground and, and at the law school. And I reached out to people, everyone and anyone that I knew um, that had some connection or some relationship or some work experience with the white house under the Obama administration. And I said, um, this is a president who, and a first lady who understands um, completely who they are and where they are. And he's in office now, but they are overseas. So what happens is, you know, we have a WNBA schedule. It's so non-traditional that in terms of basketball that um, they play a championship in late September, early October, and then they are packing up and, and hopping on planes and going to those, those overseas teams in, in Europe and Asia that we talked about. And so, and, and so they were, they were, they were gone for those, those remaining months of the Obama administration. And, um, and so because there was, 
because I understood where they were and what how they felt about this president and this first lady, even before the Sparks in particular, but the whole membership, even before the, the playoffs and even before the election, um, I knew that it was important for them to have had some kind of experience or recognition from him. And I knew how the membership felt in support of the Sparks getting that. And I knew that the Sparks wanted that. Um, Neka Ogumuke was elected president. She was, you know, the MVP and, and with the with the championship team. And um, so she and I were in constant conversations about what next would look like and what that opportunity um, with the president and or and or um, Mrs. Obama, what what that could have been. Um, and it was looking like it, it wasn't going to be able to happen because everybody was all over the world. Um, but I thought, you know, there's, there is an opportunity with a letter and, and a letter from the president who understands and celebrates your diversity, who understands and celebrates women and girls playing it at this level and getting that kind of confidence from, from engaging in sport um, would just be a tremendous, tremendous tribute. Um, in the form of a letter. So I actually, I wanted, I was hoping for a conference call and, and, and I, <laughs> but, but, but then the folks that, you know, work in the white house and, and could really make that happen, they were, they were leaving. And so the window for that was, was growing, was, was beginning to close a little bit. Um, I let the league know that this was important. So I know that they were doing and pushing some things on their side, but um, we had folks who were reaching out at the highest level and um getting that in you know our, that request in front of him and um and I'm thankful to them I'm thankful to you know friends and college roommates at Georgetown people that I've met even since being at Georgetown um who are in my family's lives for, for personal reasons but had some connections that they were willing to use um because that's how that happened. And, um, and it wasn't about politics, right? It wasn't about right. playing politics. It was about humanity and diversity and everything that they are and a celebration of that and, and a person at the highest level um, recognizing that. And it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It was, it was a really, um, you know, great, great portion of one of the articles that I've read about you um, that was mentioned about you. I think it was about the sparks, but um, I'd mentioned that part. And um, it just, you know, just shows how lucky they are to have you and, you know, how, how much you have their backs, I think. Um, well, I, and- I, I thank you for that, but I, I got to tell you, um, I, I am lucky to have this job. I'm lucky to have, um, I, I feel it. it. It is a, it is, it is luck. It is a privilege. It is a blessing. It is all of that to be able to work on behalf of, of folks who, um, who are just so engaged and, um, who want this union to be stronger and better. Um, what they give to me so that I can do this job, I can't even really describe. I 
understand that. I think it's great. Um, let's talk about, going to wrap up in a little bit, but what are some of the things that you do personally, um, aside from the journaling for, you know, your own self-care? I mean, you deal with a lot of heavy issues at times and you're, um, have minimal staff. So you're, you're very busy, you know, what do you do to make you the best that you can be on a day-to-day basis? You know, um, I'm embarrassed by the question and, and I'm embarrassed because I don't think I do that well. I, I think, um, and I, and I've been thinking a, a little bit about, um, how, how to be better about, about the self-care because I preach it, which is, which, <laughs> which is going to be amazing to people who, who listen to this and hear me be so honest, but I definitely preach it. Um, I will say this, there are times in which, um, and this probably started when I was in, in law school, not in undergrad, definitely in law school. There would be those times when I had to take a mental health day. Mm-hmm. And, and I called it that. That was just a day when I just had to walk away from, you know, I, I, I couldn't go to class. Um, uh, or if it was on the weekend, I just wasn't going to touch the books um, for the day. And, and I would pick up the books the next day and study the next day. And there are times on the job, there were times on, in the NCAA when the pressures were, were tremendously great, particularly working in the infractions area, when I had to have a mental health day, when I had to just kind of unplug from it all and, and, and do something else. And sometimes to do something else would be just to go to a museum and, and walk around. I mean, in DC, it was probably easier to do that. So when I was in law school, going sure. catching me at a Smithsonian was not really a big a big deal. It wasn't a new thing. Um, a little bit harder now that I moved around a little bit. Um, but if there's an opportunity for me to pick up a book, and um, the Graves of Wrath is one that I'm really trying to finish. I keep picking it up and putting <laughs> it down again. Um, but you know, picking up a, a really good book that has nothing to do. Or at least I don't believe it has anything to do <laughs> with with my work or with my you know with my quote unquote job as a parent. Just kind of let me escape into a literary world. That's that's what I do. I don't think I do it enough, but I do it from time to time. I do it when when the pressures are feeling particularly great and I need to just press pause for a moment. I can't escape. Um, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, well staffed for that. And honestly, I I don't want to escape. I still want to have some, some feeling of connectivity, but when I just need to press the pause button, that's what I'll do. And you might find me curled up in a room in the house that hardly anybody goes to up in the loft or, or what have you, um, with a good book. Um, and, and that's, and that's what I'll do. I don't do it enough. I probably should hit the gym a little bit more. Um, um, and, and I would love to find more of, you know, more good museums or, or galleries to just kind of escape in and, and, and do a nice walk, particularly now that I'm based in New York, but, um, but that's what I'll do. That's what yeah. I'll do. Um, 
And it's just for a day. It's nothing more than that because the, the thought of my email growing, you know, any bigger than what it is, my inbox growing any bigger than what it is, um, will, will not, yeah, any of the, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Won't allow me yeah. to do it. Won't allow me to do it. But, um, but I believe in that. I mean, e- even aside from a family vacation, right. I'm just talking totally, completely for me. That's what sure. I'll do. Um, that's great. I'm glad you asked me the question because now it'll be top of mind more and <laughs> and maybe I'll, maybe it's something I can even think about scheduling. You know, maybe every, maybe every, there's that number again, maybe every 90 days you need to factor in um, a mental health day where you just, just unplug. It can, it, it can just be really helpful to reset. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate that the organization that I work for, um, we get the week of July 4th off. So, uh, which is very helpful for everyone, I think, because, you know, right after that comes very quickly training camp and then season. And for a lot of people, um, they don't stop until the end of season at that point. And it's a lot of long hours and, and events and, and, uh, amazingly fun and chaotic, um, you know, uh, just life. Right. And, um, I know for me, uh, in my position, I, you know, our ramp up, like we're, we're running at full steam until, you know, after season starts because everything needs to be done before the season. Um, so it's a, it's a good time to either go on vacation or, um, just take a couple of days to do stuff that you, put off and then still have time to to do just that to sit and read or you know being down here it's easy to go to the beach thankfully um oh that's awesome and, uh, <laughs> yeah so when I lived in Pennsylvania um during law school I I had some like very serious like oh my gosh I can't handle not being near water uh, <laughs> times because I grew up on Cape Cod so um we have water surrounding us. And um, even being at UMass, I knew I could get to a beach in an hour and a half if I needed to. Right. And the funny thing is, I'm not one to necessarily go in the water a lot. I just like knowing that it's there. Um, and, you know, when I'm here, I'll, I'll end up lying on the beach most of the time. I'm, I'm a very lazy beachgoer. <laughs> um, but it... Uh, there's something about the beach that helps reset my mind a lot of times. Um, so that's one of the things that I use. I love that. I can see that. Uh, yeah. Um, do you have any uh, morning or evening routines that you follow? Um, yes. Don't laugh. Um, I would never. <laughs> <laughs> um, my morning routine is all about Starbucks, which is it. I have to have um, a, a Grande soy caramel macchiato every single day. It, it's just it. My day does not start until that happens. Um, <laughs> and then there's a time in which I go through um, the news. So with with coffee in hand, if I'm on the train or I've just gotten off the train, um, I don't. I will not look at emails typically um, unless I 
think I've seen one from one of my executive committee members. Um, then I then I will look at one of their emails. But typically, I will go um, straight to the news and look through business and sports sections and and just pour over what the latest is. And that's the way I want to start my day in the morning. And if I haven't started my day like that in the morning, either the Starbucks is missing or I got caught up in in emails from a variety of people um, or an urgent call or something, and it's just thrown off my routine. I'm not too happy about that because I don't feel like I know the latest. I don't feel like I'm ready to take on, um, take on the world. In the evening, I don't, I don't really think I have much. I mean, my, my evenings can end depending on where I am, what city I'm in, uh, having gone to a game or not gone to a game. So, I don't think I have really much of an evening ritual, but that morning ritual, that's important to me. I I want to be on the top of my game and I want to know what the latest is. And it's not just in sport and it's, you know, it's not just to do with the trades um, or, or, you know, the transactions that happen in, in my league or the NBA or anybody else. It, it's, it's about business too and, and what the connections are um, or how it might impact or how there might be opportunity for us in, in what is latest and what is, what is the hottest thing. So, um, yeah. So if it's, if it's, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning and I haven't gotten to that, I've, I've missed any part of that. I'm not too happy. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I've missed out on something, um, for my membership. So that's why I want to start my day. That's great. Um, do you eat breakfast with the, the macchiato or no? Mm, maybe if I, you know, it's not nearly as important as the coffee though. (laughs) Not nearly as important (laughs) as the coffee. (laughs) Gotcha. That's so fun. Um, yeah, I've, I like hearing, I I have like this little obsession right now with routines that people follow at night and in the morning. Um, I think it's probably part of an effort to, to tweak my own. Right. And and figure out what works best, but it's always fun hearing about the things that do and how you know the order in which they're done no i understand Um, absolutely well thank you so much um this has been a ton of fun and um you know i i think you you have so much to um offer our listeners just with your stories and um the experiences that you've shared so i want to thank you for agreeing to do this and um you know, I hope to be able to catch uh, a game with you at some point. That would be fantastic. We've got to figure that out. Thank you to Terry for an amazing conversation. I'm keeping an eye on her and the women of the WNBA as they head into playoffs. And if you're not already a follower of the WNBA, you really should be. The athletes are dynamic and phenomenal, and they're extremely accessible. I'm jealous of really any of you who have a team near you. As always, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review Leveling the Playing Field on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, 
radioinfluence.com or wherever else you get your podcasts. By rating and reviewing LTPF, you help us in the crazy algorithms and get us in front of more potential listeners. And in addition, I'm always looking to hear from y'all. So please send me feedback, questions, concerns, whatever. You can email me at ltpfpod at gmail.com. And finally, don't forget to follow all of the social media accounts. They're at ltpfpod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The website where you can get additional information, including some show notes and links to a couple things we talked about is at ltpfpod.com. And finally, my personal Twitter account is at Bobby Sue, B-O-B-B-I-S-U-E. 